0: To another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today's guest is Alex Kraft. Alex is the founder and CEO of a company called Heave. Now I found Alex because of a post that he did on LinkedIn that caught my attention. He tagged some heavy equipment dealers and some equipment rental businesses and specified that... Customers in their city were looking to buy or rent a machine and would go down and and explain the exact model and the specs of the machine as well. And at first, I thought he was just giving away leads as a broker or I wasn't really sure what he was doing. Uh, I went onto his profile and I saw that he was doing this frequently. He's frequently giving away free leads on LinkedIn and tagging the customers to say, hey, here you go. Here's the actual customer that wants to rent or buy a machine. So after doing some research, I I found that this was through the platform that's called Heave, a company that he created. So customers and customers can go online and specify the type of machine that they're after and put some specs in there. And then companies can then go on and quote for those machines. And I thought, what better way to understand more about Alex and his past and and where he fits into the industry and, and learn a little bit more about Heave as well. So... Alex, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. To kick things off, do you want to talk about how you first became involved in the equipment rental industry?
1: Was a young guy out of college. uh, Was twenty. This was two thousand four. I really didn't know much about the industry, and I was more lured into the idea of living in South Beach, Miami Beach, Florida. (laughs) And I found a job. I was in Boston at the time, and. Had an opportunity just to start new and move down to South Beach, which when you're young and out of school, uh, is pretty enticing. And it was a sales opportunity and, and I mean, sales and rental, I mean, we rented and sold equipment and
0: I just packed up, moved down to Miami beach and, uh,
1: started in the industry, had to learn it from the ground up, learned they I didn't really know what a wheel loader was, you know? And so uh, learned it, you know, just from the ground up, from being in the field in front of customers, went, went through you know, the, the typical product training and got to learn the applications in the heavy equipment industry, you know, utility contractors, you know, civil contractors, guys who paved roads, you know, earth moving and, uh, and started in the business selling
0: equipment. Very nice. And so what were some of the roles that you had over that period?
1: Yeah, so I started... Um, and this is, I, I'll say like what, from what I've seen, like the large companies, and we weren't a large company, we were like a mid-sized company. I think one of the advantages, the large companies, like the cat dealers, the United Rentals, um, Sunbelt Rentals, like the real large rental companies have, is they have like a defined um, path. Like everybody, all the young people that get hired, they, they start on the counter uh, and they really learn the business. And unfortunately for me, uh, being a small or mid-sized company, I was hired and, hey, go out in the field and start calling on customers and like, oh, okay, and just had to learn it that way. Um, So I I sold and rented equipment for a few years, really liked the industry. Selling is brutally difficult. Uh, And then I worked my way through like I, I then after a few years moved to our corporate office and uh, was in charge of marketing, which in this industry is very, it's kind of misleading. I would say that marketing roles in the equipment industry really are more of like a, a a sales rental strategy role. And so I worked in that role for like 10 years where my main responsibilities were like understanding market share, you know, for the company, for each of our locations, you know, performance, uh, strategy, like, you know, all right, our market share is X percent in uh, Orlando. You know, where do we stack up against our competition? You know, how do we grow our market share? Uh, how does that, you know, by product, like what is our excavator market share, you know, versus the national average? And so mm. it, it's really like marketing is misleading for the most part is it's more of a, you're not the VP of sales and marketing and rental. You're uh, more of like kind of like under that person, but in charge of like, how do we, uh, what is the state of our business? How do we increase rental? How do we, you know, I was involved a lot in inventory planning.
0: Are you spending your Fridays doing manual data entry? What could you replace that time with closing more deals Spending time with family? What if you found a platform that could give you back your time and you got to choose what you wanted to do with it? Arrow is the sales and growth platform built for you. A simple and powerful way to close big deals. Unlock your growth today and visit www.try.rentalarrow.com. Again, that's www.try.rentalarrow.com. Now back to the podcast episode.
1: You know, and rental is so dependent on inventory, which is the hardest thing for a an equipment supplier, because you're never right. You're either too heavy on inventory or you're you don't have enough. And you know, you never have the right amount. Yeah. And so I was really like, I in that like 10-year period just learned. Uh, all of the, the planning and the strategy, how to, and then how to execute, You know, how to improve performance. Uh, and then in the last couple of years at the dealership, I was the chief operating officer. And so I was our, our functioning, our functioning president. Uh, and so what was different at that point is I had to learn service. Uh, and I really didn't know service the finer points, like what drove the PL for service, what, you know, how to, what customers expect, how to deliver uh, an excellent customer service experience. Uh, so I had to learn service in addition to overseeing all of sales and rental for the last couple of years. So I've had experience in all of the different silos, as people say, you know, sales, rental, parts and service in the in the dealership model. Wow,
0: that's some amazing career progression. So it might be interesting to touch on maybe some advice you would give to somebody that's new to a business, that's working through their ranks within a dealership or an equipment rental business. Like what, what advice would you give to those people?
1: I think it's really important to find someone that you respect, that you can shadow. And I, I think it's pretty, no one, No one gets there by themselves. Right. And you're always what's really helpful is if you can find someone that gives you support where you can like ask them questions and they'll give you an honest answer. And like I was fortunate to have a couple of mentors throughout my time there where I felt comfortable asking them questions. And then this sounds kind of trite, but. You know how like if you ask somebody a question and then they give you an answer and you don't understand it and they say, hey, you get it? And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I get it. Well, like feeling comfortable enough with someone to be like, no, I don't understand that. Can you explain that again? Why? And I, I think those people are important. So I, I believe, number one, I don't think it was bad that I just was thrown out there because I do. I'm a big believer in you only learn by doing or you learn best by doing. But I think it, uh, it, for advice, like is, is find somebody who you can shadow, that does things the right way. It might not necessarily be the person who has the highest revenue number because they might not have all of the correct habits, but find somebody that you, you feel comfortable with, that you can ask honest questions, that will give you honest answers too, and that you can learn from.
0: Yeah, great advice. And, and you mentioned that you eventually got into the role of chief operating officer, what were some of the challenges that you ran into when you actually got into that role?
1: What I what I would say, and I say this to a lot of people, and I think they look at me weird sometimes. I think self-awareness is a skill. And what I, what I came to realize is that even though I had a, a, a high position, I was chief operating officer, I've always prided myself on having awareness. Like I know what I didn't know and it's very liberating almost. So like when I assume the role, like I told you, I had to learn service. I had no problem sitting in front of like our 20 year veteran service people and saying, I don't know anything about service. (laughs) Like help me. You tell me where we're broken. You tell me what needs to improve. And, um, and that is so having awareness to at least to acknowledge that because if I would have faked it, then people would have dismissed me, right? Because they know within probably ten minutes that well, he doesn't know anything about sir. So I think that's very really important. But is like having that mindset where it's like, look, I'll learn it now. I have I have experience. I have business experience, um, but help me understand. Uh, what we need to do better. And then my job is to help make that happen. And um, there's a lot, there's so many different avenues I can go down. It's uh, the the dealer model, equipment, rental model, eh, there are so many moving pieces to it. And everything is big dollars. And that's what you learn is that every every time you send out a rent, you know, it's 1200 bucks or 600 bucks. And if something goes wrong, then now it's a $1,200 mistake because you got to go pick it up and bring it back or something. It's like there, you have everything, you have to operate excellently to, to make money in this industry. And uh, you know, so learning all of the different areas that, you know, were potential for things to go wrong. And then, you know, just making a list and trying to check off like, okay, what are the two things that we can accomplish? Let's not focus on the 10. Let's just pick off two at a time and just learn the business that way.
0: Yeah, it's always very important to, to really get in the trenches with all of your staff members to understand some of the challenges that they've got in their role. You've got really experienced people sometimes in these departments and you want to enable them better. And it's great to hear that the advice that you would give is, is figure out what you don't know, engage with this staff, learn about what they're going through and then try and be that leader and that manager to help them deploy better processes and whatnot.
1: It's part of, to me, it's part of growth. Like I can't say that I was always that way, right? I think we go through this natural evolution as people where when I was young, when I started at the company, like you're on a mission to prove and validate that you're good. Like, hey, you hired me for a reason. I'm going to get the job done. And then you kind of, like, you're a know-it-all. Like, we've all met plenty of people who are younger who come off as know-it-alls. And I think it's weird. Like, you have this evolution, or I think it's normal, where it's like, all right, I, you know, I'm young. I know everything. And then you get some, you get some real experience. And they're like, wait a minute. I don't know that much. <laughs> you get, you're in meetings now with, like, your superiors and then like uh, that's also the benefit of working for a smaller company is that I was always part of like these high-level meetings whether they be with like uh, high-level uh, OEM uh, representatives and us and then I would see like our senior people interact and I'm like oh wow I don't know a half of what that guy does. <laughs> and then so you, you kind of come back to earth a little bit and then you just and then as time goes on and you're part of more and more of them, then you you learn that, hey, even the highest level, there's nothing to be intimidated by. They don't have all the answers either. So it, it, you kind of go through this evolution uh, where you gain confidence and experience, uh, and then you learn what separates the people from the top, the successful ones, from those that have high positions that maybe aren't as successful. And I think it's a lot of what, you, what we're touching on is that there's such power in... In numbers, right? And the a leader, the most effective leaders support their team and they get the most out of everybody. And that, that rising tide lifts everybody. It's not about telling people what to do, right? And that, that's not scalable. Um, and that, that never, never works, right? <laughs> you need everybody contributing.
0: Yeah. Leadership is such an important quality for any sort of manager and not everyone can be a leader. That's, that's the challenge as well.
1: Yeah. And I think I, I played sports all my life. So I was, a I played basketball. So like, I think that's a very valuable and that shaped me too, like being used to playing uh, on a team and, uh, you know, building relationships with people, you know, and try, striving for a common goal that, that definitely plays a big part.
0: And so you've had all these roles and now you're the founder of Heave. So how did that come about?
1: chief operating officer for a couple of years and we sold the company uh, to uh, a very low, uh, they're now a public company uh, called Alta Equipment, very large public company now. They've uh, forklift dealers, uh, also other Volvo uh, branded dealers, you know, just I think they have like 60 locations across the country for heavy equipment. And I was trying to figure out what, what do I do? And, you know, it's, it's amazing how timing it I think timing is a very underrated key like component to to success or also just like plans like had if I was 29 years old and um, our company was sold to Alta he probably does, isn't formed <laughs> but I was 39 years old and I had accumulated all this experience at different levels of the business and so I had I had kind of seen it all in in the equipment dealer model, um, and it, it's not just me. There's other companies that are in the space where you just see these gaps, and the gaps in this industry are with technology and you know efficiency around just the entire uh, customer experience, and. Yeah, I saw it firsthand. I would I would call on customers with our salespeople, and you know, you call on a customer, and you know, they would say something like, "How come it takes ten days to get a, a quote from you guys?" <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, and and it's not I'm not being negative about the, our sales team. It, it's no different than if you go to the cat dealer or the John Deere dealer or the console dealer. Uh, it's a very it's still a very manual uh, process. With uh, equipment and going through sales reps and dealers, it's just that's always the way it's been. And I just was able to see it, and it—it's pain. You know, you can see customers who are are spending too much time chasing down information that shouldn't. It should be readily available, or it should be, it should be faster and an easier customer experience. And so I just kind of always filed that away. And with the transition of the company, I was like, you know, I think everything has kind of happened for a reason. And it's kind of come to this point. Uh, I, I have the confidence and the experience. What if I started a business that addressed this gap and um, take, take my shot, push my chips into the middle of the table? And because uh, I, I do, I see that we're solving a pain point uh, in the industry. And that's kind of what led to it. Um, just making it seamless, making it faster. There's so many different companies in other industries that we draw inspiration from Thumbtack, Home Advisor, Lending Tree. You know, where it's just they're built around this easy customer experience. Customer goes to one place, can get multiple quotes, and they're kind of more in control of their process.
0: And maybe just to give the listeners a little bit of context on how I actually got connected with Alex. So I was scrolling through LinkedIn and I saw Alex was posting and tagging dealerships and rental businesses to say people want equipment in your area. And so it caught my attention. So I went on his profile and I saw that he had done it multiple times and he was the founder of a company called Heave. So I went on Heave and I found that Heave was a place where uh, people can post uh, equipment that they're after. So it's skid steer or boom lift, whatever, an excavator, whatever it is. Say, so I need this particular equipment with these attachments and this configuration. And then companies can then go on heave and then quote for that work. So maybe do you just want to give the listeners a bit of a background on what's the customer experience from the customer side and then also from the the dealership side, let's say.
1: it's a very It's a very simple concept. And I love that you first saw us on me tagging dealers on LinkedIn. Uh, the customer experience is very simple. I go to heave.co. I pick a product. Every, you know, customers have cert- certain models that they run or they like. Hey, I run Cat 299 compact track loaders. I love John Deere 50G mini excavators, whatever it is. I pick that 50G. Uh, We ask a couple intuitive like configuration questions. Do you want a cab or a canopy? Uh, What size bucket do you want? And then they, where are you? I'm in Orlando. Um, If if they want to rent it, we ask them just a loose outline of of a term. Like, do you want it from, for between one to three months, three to six months? Is this a long-term like six plus month rental? They just select whichever, like we don't pin them down to dates. And then they hit submit and they're done. That request gets posted to our website. That's it. And then now the customer will get alerted every time a dealer quotes their request. They don't have to do anything else. They don't have to try to figure out who else to call. They can now go do whatever they do. Right. And for a dealer, it's just as simple. Because to me, this is what makes everything go. Um, as a two sided marketplace, our customer. On the supply side is a dealer salesman. That is who our customer is. And so if you if you're a a if you're a salesman, you what salesmen do in this industry is that they're encouraged to go drive their territory, go call on job sites, go call on customer offices. That's what they, they continue to do. But if you are an, a Heave account holder, you've caught you've gone on to Heave.co and you've set your territory. I all right, I uh I am in Orlando and in these five counties surrounding Orlando, I've set my territory. So now when that customer had gone on and and submitted a rental request for a John Deere 50 G, I get a text message and an email says, Hey, uh, so-and-so contracting would like a quote to rent a John Deere 50 G size machine. And now I can just input my, my pricing and submit right on my phone. None of my competition can see the quote. It goes directly to the customer, and now I just wait to hear back from the customer. I've learned in the you know, in the last year doing this, how you describe something, the power of words, positioning, uh, and it's taken a while for us to find like our footing. This was never meant to replace salespeople. <laughs> Ironically, it's the exact opposite. <laughs> it's, it was never meant to uh, capture all of the business. Pl- plenty of customers, have relationships with their salespeople, they order equipment through them. It's no big deal. But there's a growing amount of customers that don't know who to call, like I described, and just want an easier experience. They don't they don't go to Roos Chris once a week with equipment salesmen. You know, they just, hey, I want to rent a little mini X for three months. I just would like a couple quotes. And so that's what we've built. And the value that we can provide to salespeople is just as powerful as to the customer.
0: I'm glad you brought up the configuration because that was something that actually jumped out at me when I went on the Heave website. So I noticed that Heave has great photos. They've got a great selection of equipment that's already pre-built, but the configuration. So when I choose a piece of equipment, it asks some snappy questions around what else do you need? If you were to get someone to provide you a solution, what would that solution look like? I think it's a great... The customer experience that you've built in as part of the Heave solution. So, how did you come up with the the configuration? It looks like there's a lot of effort put into that.
1: It was manual. <laughs> I spent a ton of time uh, uh, just build you know building that database <laughs> of high quality images. I've I've got you know, we have a team of five here. Uh, a couple are like really really good with with like design aesthetic and the configuration part. It, that's the that's part of the value that I bring like having experience in the industry because I, I think we try to simplify things but provide enough information to the dealer side that they don't necessarily have to call the customer and ask any other questions right so like we're trying to strike a fine balance because I, I, I would say and this isn't being I don't mean to be critical um, like if you look at some of the OEM, kind of journeys on their websites. If you think about from a, a perspective of what is an OEM? They're engineering companies. And so I think that they're too, they fo- they're too detailed on things that don't necessarily matter for a customer. Right. And so what we, we want to be that fine that ba- the middle ground of like, hey, give us, we don't want to ask the customer 12 questions, but you know, what is the bare minimum to where a, the salesperson can quote that request without having to ask like three other questions. Uh, so that's, we and it, it wasn't perfect out of the gate. Um, I had given you that, um, that technology that we use that where we watch um, our visitors experience and it was just constant research. Like we would see where certain customers would fall off uh, when, if we asked too many questions, all right? Remove those questions and then see, do we get enough people to finish? Yes. Okay. Reordering of the questions, like that, was one of the things that I didn't, I underestimated, was the like kind of the science behind user experience. All of the thought that these online companies put into the customer journey, Um, how to how to keep people's attention, how not to, you know. bombard them with certain things. And it's a constant work in process. I mean, we had a meeting this morning with our team where we're going to play around with a different user experience and we're going to keep it like an A-B test and see if that drives even more uh, user submittal. So it's just something that you just know upfront that it's going to continue to be changed and and, uh, improved hopefully over the next couple of years.
0: And what about from a technology acceptance standpoint because the construction industry in general has always been fairly slow at adopting new technologies yeah there's
1: always a a hesitance to new uh there's a fear to it um and also this is part of some clarity that i've had as well is that look most people just want it to remain in the present like we don't want the future you know because you know everything is great right now like especially in the equipment rental like is there a better time in the rental industry i mean everything everyone has is out on rent it's utilized i mean it's great but you know i think what all these companies do in other industries the, with technology is it's all focused on what is how can we improve the customer experience and, and by doing that, you can improve your dealer operations. Like the, When I have discussions with dealers today and suppliers, it's, a, it's around like, hey, to me, the role of technology is how can we replace what is non-value add activities for your team and utilize technology so that you can repurpose your team to providing more value add activities to customers. Like uh, and something that's apart from Eve for when I I'll just provide a little more color for non-value add. What's value add activity of a customer calling into a dealer to like say, Hey, I, I need to order these five parts. And then a person answering the phone and then entering those five parts into a, a business system to order them. That's not value add, you know, and so Uh, technology it makes a lot of sense to me uh, some of these parts companies because it's made it easier for customers and if i'm a dealer i'm a supplier what i would want to spend more time on what's more value add for me is inventory planning for parts making sure that i have like the right parts at the right location based on my machine population um you know what else is more value add is uh you know, not every uh, trip out to repair a customer's machine is one trip. And so what happens is a, a technician goes, diagnoses the problem, then he has to leave to go get the part. Well, to me, it would be provide more value if you could have somebody take the parts to that technician. And, and dealers do that. But it's like, could that be done on a larger scale? And that's pro, the point of technology to take the, you know, give customers an easy way to order and then support in the back you know because yeah. I, I i would say all all suppliers are short-handed with people i think that's a very true statement short on technicians short on support people short on sales people and so where can technology
0: help us because nobody's going to be able to go find all the people to plug these holes i also think the fact that you've come from the industry and you understand the landscape of equipment is a huge bonus when you're working on the technology side and you're trying to provide solutions to the market i think it's a, it can be a real struggle when you've got a tech solution coming in that doesn't truly understand the ins and outs of a particular industry
1: i think that's also kind of why certain tech solutions have taken a long time to kind of come into this industry because i do I do think that it is different, and it requires a tremendous amount of institutional knowledge to to design the solution. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I, that's part of what gave me the confidence to do it. Is that, like I said, I've, I've been through the the model. I know how suppliers work. I know how dealers work. I know how customers. Uh, I know what their experience is. You know, and that's. We know how to structure the products on our site. We know what questions to ask.
0: Yep, I couldn't agree more. All right, well, let's learn a little bit more about you. So who do you think played a big influence on you from a mentor perspective?
1: Um, a few. Uh, and like I said earlier, like we all have the uh, support system that you know have shaped us in different ways. Uh, for me, my father-in-law is probably number one or not probably but is um so my father-in-law was a very is a very successful businessman different industries is has shaped so many of my uh experiences he's been someone that i've been able to learn a tremendous amount business-wise but also personally just somebody who he just turned 75 the other day too and um but He was an entrepreneur, completely self-made. I've never seen anyone work so hard. And uh, I'll I'll tell you, uh, this is one of my favorite stories about him. When my wife and I were first dating, I I hadn't met her parents yet. And most of my uh, girlfriends prior to my wife, you know, I was an athlete, played college basketball. And so like, parents love that and they would love to come to our games and stuff and, and my wife was like look my dad doesn't really care about sports he doesn't follow sports and um, he's probably just going to ask you about what jobs you've had I'm like well but I'm in college I, I haven't had any jobs <laughs> right? and so so we go and we meet her parents for dinner and we sit down and I'm like 20 years old and uh, say, so Alex what jobs have you had <laughs> It's like Well, I was a camp, uh, basketball camp counselor and I was, uh, you know, this and this, I was like a lifeguard or something, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but he never, like, and then I got to learn, like, I, I had no idea, like to the extent of his success at that time. Like I got to know it like a couple years later, like, you know, had a couple really big exits of companies, like just incredible. And like the work ethic that he had was just Unbelievable. And he never treated me any differently for like, not having this, uh, this path to success, you know? And so he, I just learned, uh, you know, what it took. Uh, I learned no excuses like that. There was another thing with him. It just, you can just see he was always in command and no matter what kind of difficulty he was experiencing in, in certain businesses, there was no panic. There was no, and he didn't always have the answer either. Like, that was another thing that helped, you know, develop my confidence to start a company was like seeing him at, a, at that level, but knowing that, hey, I, I don't have the answer at the moment, but we'll figure it out. And that, and that, like, figure it out is such a common theme that I see across the landscape of successful business people is that. They're just, they're not afraid. They recognize the challenges and the obstacles ahead of them. And they just, they go into it with it. You know what? It's normal and we'll figure it out. And, you know, he, he's been a huge supporter of mine as well uh, with the new venture. Uh, I lean on him for advice and just, he's always been an inspiration to me. Mm-hmm. And he's helped me, you know, in other, in personal ways too, like, you know, being a better father like I, I look up to him as as a father figure so he was he would be my number one mentor and then there's a number there's another guy that I, I worked with at Flagler he actually worked for um, our sister company Pengers you guys his name is Matt Gavin he works for Herc Rentals now he he was the guy that I kind of alluded to earlier when we were talking where like you know you can tell when people are invested in you as a person, like they want you to be successful. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, there's nothing like really said, but you can just tell like, okay, this, this person treats me differently. Like this person really does care if I do a good job. And Matt was like the first guy in the de- in the dealership that treated me that way. Like I could tell that he like saw something in me and and I was comfortable with him, like, hey, you know, explain that to me again. Why do we do it this way? Or why wouldn't we do it this way? And he, he was somebody who also would hold me accountable. And, you know, he could, you know he's one of those guys that you know, you're driving home at the end of the day, you had a tough day, you call. And he would be the, guy, the kind of person who would be like, stop bitching about that. <laughs> like, figure it out. Or, you know, don't tell me that, oh, but I gave it my best. Like, hey, we didn't win the deal. Like, hey, you got to learn from it. And I think that is a really important quality in a mentor is that somebody who's not always going to tell you what you want to hear, and somebody that you respect and that will kind of give you the hard truth, right? Because it all helps you get better.
0: Yeah, and I think the great thing about mentorship is Uh, For the people that I've spoken to, even on this podcast, when they say that they've been a mentor, they've sometimes learned just as much as what they're teaching their mentees as well. So look, mentorship is, is a key element. If someone doesn't have a mentor, I suggest you go out there and figure out who could be someone that might match with you quite well. All right, well, look, I've been asking this question lately, so if you could have dinner with any three people dead or alive, who would they be, and why?
1: Oh God, uh, huh that's something that I'm not I, I don't think I've ever been asked that question, and I'm not necessarily prepared to answer that. Um <laughs> Three people that I'd want to have dinner with, huh. Well, I mean, George, Michael Jordan was my idol growing up. I would, have to, I would have to meet him. You know, I'm a big sports guy, so probably like Tiger. Uh, I've always been – oh, you know what? Yeah, okay. So, So Jordan – Bill Belichick would be another guy. I'm fascinated by, obviously, people who are successful, but who – like there's – you know, Jordan is well-documented, right? Grace, I think the greatest athlete, greatest basketball player, he had this incredible drive. Belichick uh, has reached this level of success, yet it's like, to him, it's like he hasn't done anything. Yet. <laughs> uh, and just like, once again, the drive, you know, Tiger, I would also say like Tom Brady too, like, you know, it's hard to pick but it's like that kind of character like that profile is is always been fascinating to me it's that the best is yet to come uh there's no resting on our laurels like you know how many people do we encounter who just want to tell you what they've done you know and here you have people who have reached the pinnacle that are still grinding still working hard like that's fascinating to me those are the kind of people that i would love to pick their brain great selections
0: and yeah i guess legends and they're all obsessed is what they do and as you said they they always are wanting to achieve more and it's only the start so yeah nice selections all right well if you could give some advice to your younger self what would you say interesting
1: um what would i say to my younger self so your father now, right? So, what's really cool about this question is, I can now just give that advice to my kids. <laughs> so, what I what I would say is, I'm a huge believer in you have to be in the fire. That's the best learning. So, doing. Um, but what I would say that I've tried to get better at personally in the last couple of years is not being afraid to fail. Is not being afraid to try something new, and I think that when I was younger, you know, being an athlete, uh, certain certain things came easily to me, and what that the downside to that was, I was afraid to try stuff that was new because I didn't want to be bad at something. And so I would say, and I I tell this to my kids is like, who cares? Like, go try that. You, if you wanted to try something, go try that. You know, who cares if you, you stink at it? Um, everybody does in the beginning, right? It's like, so I find myself now in the last couple of years trying more things because I've kind of gotten over that mental hurdle. But I, that's what I would tell my younger self is that, you know, who gives a shit if, if you suck at something, you know, just try it.
0: Yeah. What's the worst that's going to happen? Yeah. So you look like an idiot.
1: I've looked like an idiot playing. <laughs> Get over it. <laughs>
0: And you've referenced success a few times already on this podcast, but how do you define success?
1: Uh, to me, for us, we have some lofty goals, but what I would define success is, is like what we have to do is we, we literally have to win like a customer at a time. And for success for us now is stacking small wins satisfying customers, you know, a couple a day, uh, bringing on a couple, two salesmen a day and them having a great experience where they can successfully rent a machine, uh, sell a sell machine. Like we had a, a, a guy uh, open up a new account to him. Uh, he rented a machine to a customer in, they were in like kind of dire straits uh, a couple weeks ago where they had a machine go down and they were a higher production environment. And, uh, it was like a very specialty machine. They put the request in on heave, got a couple quotes within an hour. And then for the salesperson to want a new account. And so like success for us is just like one deal at a time. We have goals that, you know, in a couple of years, the lofty goal for us, I'd mentioned compact, we want to be the marketplace that the most compact equipment flows through in, in a month, in a year of anywhere else that's what we're going to work towards but like success is all about to me is is satisfying one customer at a time here and building a business you know it is it's incredibly difficult to start something just on your from your kitchen table that no one has ever heard of in a mature industry and creating a brand but you can't to me you can't focus on this big picture stuff you've got to like do it small and replicate it and and win these small battles. And then you look back, hopefully 18 months, 24 months later, and like, all right, now we got something. But you gotta you gotta win small.
0: Small wins. I love it. They all add up in the big picture. All right, Alex. Well, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Oh my God, I
1: can't believe it was <laughs> I'm
0: looking at the clock now. <laughs> that went by so fast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, it was it was a great conversation. I appreciate the opportunity to have uh, to have me on and and to talk about Heave a little bit.
0: This podcast was brought to you by our premier partner, Ken Tire.